And as we look at the book of Hebrews, for me, the book of Hebrews was written to explain something. The whole book of Hebrews is explaining, of course, the Old Testament, I suppose, rituals, sacrifices, priesthood, and, and all those functions, etc., etc. And so if you really want to understand the Old Testament, my friend, make sure you read and study the book of Hebrews, a great book, as you know. And the book of Hebrews is also powerful in showing us the Lord Jesus. Think of that. I want you to think of that first. The book of Hebrews is powerful in showing us the Lord Jesus. He fulfills all of the Old Testament rituals and ceremonies and all the other stuff. As, as one pastor just say, all that stuff. He fulfills it all. And that's important. Because it's saying that he's higher than the prophets. He's higher than Abraham. He's higher than Moses. He's higher than the angels, and even the archangels. Poor Lucifer. He doesn't really stand a chance. He made a big mistake in getting people angry enough to crucify Jesus. God said, well, that was my plan. But think of that for a minute. Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. Now, some Christians get the idea, well, don't study the Old Testament. No, no, study the Old Testament. Very good. A lot of important intelligentsia for us in the Old Testament. For me, Hebrews is written by Paul the Apostle. I know many people talk about, oh, the author of Hebrews or the writer of Hebrews. Well, for me, and you can debate that amongst yourself if you wish, but a lot of conservative scholars are, agree with me. For me, Hebrews are written by Paul the Apostle. He didn't sign his name, so people say, well, we don't know really who wrote the book of Hebrews. But you know, there's a common sense in here somewhere. Paul the Apostle would not sign his name because he had a lot of common sense. He's writing to the Hebrews, which applies to us today, not because we're Hebrews. But Gentiles are involved, as you know, in the sacrifices of Christ. They sacrificed their Christ. He didn't sign his name because the Christian Jews, the early church was started by the Christian Jews, they were still afraid of him. He persecuted the church. Would you trust this fellow? No. So Paul is a wise man. He's not going to sign his name to this book. He wants them to read it, to remind him that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. And of course he wouldn't sign it because the unsaved Jews hated him. He had persecuted this obnoxious church that got in their way. This is Jesus. And yet he switched around and was preaching Jesus. So Paul the Apostle, you debate that amongst yourself. Paul the Apostle, as far as I'm concerned, wrote the book of Hebrews under the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit. Of course you know that. We need to understand that. And so the book of Hebrews is very important. Not that any, every other book in the Bible is very important. Also, if I was preaching in Genesis, I'd say it's a very important book. If I was preaching somewhere else, I'd say it's an important book. Hebrews is an important book. And let's read that portion of Scripture. I know we could say a lot more. We're just going to talk about the Christian's daily life from this portion of Scripture. I want you to understand that. 
We could say a lot more about the Christian's daily life, of course. Let's concentrate on this portion of Scripture. Why? Well, because according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, there's a warning to all believers, Jew and Gentile alike. And who wrote that? Paul the Apostle. He said there's going to be a great falling away called the apostasy before the Antichrist comes and has that terrible seven-year tribulational period moving into the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ that we know about, we preach, we believe it, and we need to understand there are apostates in the world today. Their idea is to say, this is the truth of the Bible, but we're going to change it a little bit. That's apostasy, falling away from the truth. We have to understand that. And so we see that in Scripture, and the book of Hebrews has a hint of that, because Paul is warning the people and us today, don't be by misled by every wind of change and every doctrine that flows through our society. That's the difference. So notice this portion of Scripture. I'm going to read from the King James Version because certain nuances in the Word I want to bring out later. Hebrews 13, 1 to 14, let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them, them who suffer adversity, as being yourselves also in the body. Marriage is honorable, and all in the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Let your manner of life be without covetousness. Be content with such things that you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Remember them who have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their manner of life. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Be not carried about with every various and change and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with the foods which have not profited them that have been occupied with them. We have an altar of which they have no right to eat, who serve the tabernacle. <coughs> for the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary of the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp outside the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him outside the camp, bearing his throat, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. May the Lord bless his word for our hearts today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We recognize the fact we're living the last days of this dispensation called grace. We understand, Lord, that a great movement of falling away from your blessed word, a falling away from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, a falling away from that which is right, Father. We come before you thanking you for the word that blesses our daily lives and gives us the wisdom <coughs> to follow you. So bless us, Father, even now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Christian's daily life. Quite a thought there. 
because we could involve a lot more than what I have here today, of course. Hebrews 13, 14 is a good text. Let us, I like that, not just the Jews, Gentiles, anyone who believes in Jesus Christ, let us go forth unto him outside the camp bearing his reproach, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Oh, a great four-square city coming down out of heaven in the future to a new heaven to earth. <clears throat> what a teaching we have here. We're looking for something better than what this world has to offer. That's what it's saying here. We are reminded of Christian's life, and I'm talking about a Christian who's really born again, who wants the truth of Scripture, who is ethical in his Christianity. Oh, sorry, ethics is a bad word today, I know. Uh, Senate uh, uh, and all its trouble and corruption. Where is the ethics in the world today? Huh, we need that. And we're taught very carefully here that the born-again believer is looking for better things than what this world can offer us. Then, yes, of course, let's use our common sense again. Of course we live in this North American culture. You don't live in an African culture. You don't live in an Asian culture. You live in North American culture. And we need to look for jobs and careers and education. Yes, and money and everything else. And marriage and home and family. These are all the natural, normal things of people who live an ethical life. We need those sort of things. They are important. God gives them to us as we, as you know, as we daily live for him. That's the key. Now, sometimes as Christians, we have to go outside the camp. Now, there it is. Outside the thinking of this world. The reason, of course, is simple. To understand how God, through Christ, wants us to live our daily life in this world, outside the world's ways, when it's contrary to the Word of God. Of course, there's lots of good truths in the world. You couldn't land a man in the moon unless the scientists had studied carefully the natural laws of the universe. One scientist didn't say that. He said we couldn't land a man in the moon unless we know the natural laws of the universe. We had to learn them. They didn't make them up. They learn something that's already there, but a greater intelligence put natural laws in the universe so they land a man on the moon. Now, we Christians, we call that the moral laws of the universe. That comes from God. So you got to note that. We live outside the thinking of this world when it's contrary to the word of God. That's clear enough. Leviticus 6, verse 11 says the sacrifices were taken outside the camp. Everything to do with Jesus outside the thinking of this world. We need to put our thinking caps on because the world of apostasy is coming in fast. Our generation faced wars and financial collapses and everything else. This generation is going to face the apostasy of this world. They're in danger. Our young people are in danger because they don't know an apostate maybe when they see one. And they'd better see one quick. So let's remember, Abraham, our spiritual father, uh, is the one who is like us, or we are like him. He believed God. Wow. You know, you go around today, you hear people, oh, I believe, I, oh, I believe there's a God. Oh, I believe in God. No. No. Abraham believed God. What did he believe? Get up and get out of your country. Boy, that's vague, isn't it? That's vague. He got up and got out of the country. He got out of the city of Ur. 
And we need to be a people like that. When God speaks to us, we need to move on with our lives in the things of God and quit following the things of this world. That's the key today, because people today in our North American culture, I'll use that again, we sort of follow what the North American culture says. Abraham became known as a friend of God, and so are we when we live outside the thinking of this world, in obedience to God's word. We're not geniuses. I'm not. But I'm smarter to know there's something in God's word that will protect us from the evils of the day in which we live. We talked about happiness in our hymns here. You know, you don't need to go to university to study happiness. All you need to do is know God. Abraham knew God. He's a friend of God. And so he moved out in the obedience to God and the Christian's daily life is a journey through what God tells us to do, not what the world tells us to do. We've got to get that across to our hearts today because we have tremendous electronic communications, I'll put it that way. And, and it's everything to do, you might say, against God. Although electronics is wonderful. I think it's great. It's going to be the coming thing. It's marvelous. But be careful. What does it teach us? We need to be a people who are following the Lord and bearing, here's the bad part, bearing his reproach. Remember Jesus says, as they hated me, so they'll hate you. Brother Crick, a couple of Sundays ago, had a good sermon. I hope you remember it. In a way, he's saying it's costly to be a disciple. Costly. They hated Christ. They will hate you, as the scripture says, and we have to know that. We're not really a friend of this world. Let's keep that in mind. Friendship of the world is an enmity with God, says the Bible, as you know. And so we want to look at this thought this morning. I've been belaboring the introduction, as you know. But it's important. <clears throat> Let's notice a few things in the Christian's daily life. First of all, first of all, in verses 1 to 3, it's a life of outgoing, ongoing love. Outgoing, ongoing love. It's a continual love for God and man. And that's hard to do because we're just men and women of dust, as the Bible says. We're not in perfection yet, yet that's what we're, we're trying to achieve in a striving. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. We're not striving in legalism. We're striving to be what we already are, holy as he is holy. Mark 12, 30, 31, Jesus himself said to us, you shall love God with all your heart and your neighbors yourself. Now, real Christian living has a sense of outgoing, ongoing love that touches God and man. Ephesians 5, 1, 2, God tells us the followers of God as dear children and be that way. See, there's that childishness again. My, we like to think, oh, I'm grown up. I'm all grown up. I'm over 80. I'm all grown up. No, we're not. Child, you're just children in the sight of God. He calls you children all the time. Let the little children come on to me. Yeah, that's children and babies, yeah. That's you and me, too. We've got to remember that. We need to see that. 
He tells be followers of God as dear children, walk in love as he has loved us, gave himself for us, an offering and sacrifice to God for sweet-smelling savor. Another part of the Bible says that, you know, we who believe are an aroma of life to God and to each other. And those who are unsaved are an aroma to death. But Christ has a sweet smelling savor unto God. Let the world, verse 4, be the fornicators and adulterers, don't you? Let them be unclean and full of covetousness. But our, our Christian living, our Christian living out of love for God and others gives us a manner of life and confidence in who? In ourselves? No, in God, in Jesus Christ. And we need to see that. He never leaves us nor forsakes us, verse 5 says. Our text tells us to love the stranger and love the, and love the one who suffers, the one who is in prison for their faith. Love these people and love one another in your daily Christian living. Love the church as Christ loved it and gave himself for it. Now, you're the congregation. I'm the congregation. I'm part of it. How you behave in the church is what will bring it together or destroy it. You are responsible for it, not the pastor. The pastor says an office to help you come together as a church body to be strong in the Lord and, and help in that church that Christ died for. And that's what we need today. Love is ongoing, outgoing in a wonderful way. Now think of the first Adam. I'll get in trouble with this one. First Timothy 2.14 says, Adam wasn't deceived. Eve was. Now we got a gender issue. Oh, no. Oh, that's terrible. No, we're not talking about gender issues today. Adam wasn't deceived. Eve was. But Adam, before he took the forbidden fruit, had something we don't have. He had a perfect love. He hadn't fallen yet. Get that picture. He had a perfect love. He hadn't fallen yet. If he hadn't fallen yet, then why in the world didn't he say to God, get me another woman, make me another woman. This one's no good. Throw it out. No, wouldn't say that. Why? He had perfect love. The attitude and actions of perfect love move us to help the other person. And so he was moved. He was moved to sacrifice himself to be with this Eve and in love look after her outside the Garden of Eden into a world of darkness and death. Wow. That's love. That's love. That's the love Christ had for the church. Did you ever notice that? That's the love Christ had for his bride, the church. He gave himself for it. He threw himself away for it. He left the glories of heaven, the comforts of heaven, the glory, the beauty, whatever it is in heaven. He left it all for a world of sin for you and for me. Why? Because we're the bride of Christ. He's coming back for the bride of Christ. For us, he's not coming back as king of kings. He's coming back for the bride before the tribulational period. A terrible time. You don't want to be there. So believe in Christ. Make sure you're saved today. Ephesians 5.25. In a world of apostasy, your love for one another will keep the church pure and on the right course. That's the key. The churches around, many churches around today are following apostate teaching that we fall away from the truth and preach whatever we want. No. We're to be 
keeping the church pure and on the right course for God and his people? Do you have that kind of outgoing, ongoing love in your daily Christian life in today, in your Christian living today? You need that. That's the kind of love we need today. No, we're not going to achieve the perfect love Christ had, but you know we're aiming for it. I'm not going to do anything that hurts my fellow being in the church or in the neighborhood, in that place where I work or any place else. Daily Christian living affects other people with the love we're talking about. If you have that, and I notice here, secondly, your daily Christian living is to do that you have, of course, is to have a, a, a life of perfect standards. Wow. Perfect. That's a word that's not used very much today because nobody's perfect. I'm not. You're not. But nevertheless, we're to have a life of perfect standards. Our text in Hebrews 13, 4-6 is telling us something about God. What was it that came out of the Garden of Eden that is used today in its perfection? Marriage. What was in the Garden of Eden that was perfect? Marriage. Adam was married to Eve. The father gave the bride to Adam, and they consummated a marriage. What came out of the Garden of Eden that's so perfect? Marriage. Now, when I say that, people, oh, that's sort of up in the air. It's sort of, sort of unknown, a quality or quantity. In our daily Christian living, we need a life of perfect standards. Our text, Hebrews 13, 4 to 6, is telling us marriage is God's standard for men and women. Now, don't think I'm knocking the single people or the older people, the widows and widowers. It's telling us marriage is God's great standard for men and women. Nothing else will do. Now, now notice this. We're talking about something that's important here. Nothing else will do. It's the basis for every society. You can go down to the darkest Africa, darkest part of Africa, the little black pygmy, a little tribe I've never heard of a white man. He'll have a marriage. Go to Asia. Don Rishon was there. The headhunters had marriage. Marriage is a keystone to a society. It's the basis of every society. It's the indicator of proper living. Now, if you're single, you're going to be looking forward. Now, I can't say if you're married 50 years like me, I'm not looking backward. I'm looking for another 50 years, of course. You know it. So notice that carefully. It's the basis of every society. It's the indicator of proper living in all the facets of our lives. Righteousness exalteth a nation. Of course God expects us to be righteous. Get up there. Get going. Marriage is a high plane on which to live. We need to see that. The believer's manner of life makes us a reproach to the nations, though. We say marriage. It's the only answer to a society's needs. A good marriage. But wait a minute. It's a reproach to the nations. They hate a moral, normal society. See, marriage is normal. Shacking up isn't. And that's the difference. We need to note that carefully. Of course, that's why, of course, as we see that, that we're outside the thinking of this world, outside the camp, in a world but not of the world. The world hates you because your perfect standards, your principles for living are way different than the world's. At least they should be. 
And we need to see that very carefully. Your, your, your life, a Christian life, is much higher than the world's principles. They will hate Christians because our standards for daily living is based on Scripture. And the world's standards are based on a society whose latest philosophical opinions on the problems of life are wonderful, except they're wrong. Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil. He's more important than the scriptures. Oprah is a spiritual guru. Suzuki, well, he knows everything. Wrong. But the high standards of God demand regeneration. Dr. Drew, he says he can rehabilitate anybody. Wow. Some of the people he rehabilitates, I don't know how far he's going, but anyway, it's more amusing than what he can say. The high standard of God demands regeneration, not rehabilitation. And as our manner of life flows from a regeneration, we've been born again. We're new creations in Christ Jesus. There's a difference here. We've been born again. And our man, therefore, our manner of life, our daily Christian living is, is a life of perfect standards. You know what? That's reaching out there, isn't it? Perfect standards. How's your ethics? How's your honesty? Did you ever tell a lie? Pastor John preached a little while back. How many of us kept the Ten Commandments? Nobody. Nobody. But you're still expected to have perfect standards in a Christian life, and we aim to achieve them, which is simply following God's ways, not the world's ways. Never follow the world's ways when it's contrary to the Word of God. That's <coughs> the key there. <coughs> what are your standards for your Christian living? God's ways is world's ways. The world will call you narrow-minded, bigoted, judgmental, but our minds are made up. We will follow the Lord's ways and the Lord's word, as it says there in verse 6. Is that you today? Do you have ongoing, outgoing love? Do you have those kind of standards that are different in the world's? If so, notice here, thirdly, the Christian's daily life is not only a life of outgoing love and a life of perfect standards, but the Christian daily life is also a life of firm faith. Boy, we need that today, don't we? Because apostasy is on the march of falling away from truth. Governments say everything's okay, abortion's okay, homosexuals okay, you know, everything's okay, do what you like, everything's okay. You know, people in Greece and uh, Europe did everything that they said is okay. <laughs> the government says it's okay. Now they're going to pay the price. Rioting. Troubles. Why? Because now the government says you got to pay our taxes now. Oh, well, we never did that before. Notice the difference here. That all falls back onto a life of firm faith. Notice verses 7 and 9 here in Hebrews 13. Verse 9 warns us, there's always someone who wants us to change our faith. Now, just a little bit. <coughs> That's what apostate says. Fall away a little bit from the truth. Not too much. We don't ask too much. Why, you can believe in Jesus, but keep the commandments. Some of the Seventh-day Adventists. Preach your gospel, but don't say Jesus is God. Who, who would say that? Joe Winners don't like that. 
Get your pastor to just preach the New Testament. You don't believe all that Old Testament. It's so complicated. Or just get your pastor to preach the Old Testament and forget all the needs of the New Testament. He didn't need to preach the New Testament all the time. You see, that's why I said a little earlier. We should know our Old Testament. We should know our New Testament. Some people say, well, i got a couple of verses in the Old Testament that tell me everything I need to know, and I can forget all the rest of the Bible. That's apostasy. Getting away from the truth of God. Getting away from the Word of God. Get your pastor off the whole Bible. It's too confusing, they say. Let's have a little change in your faith. Uh, let's uh, have a different faith for each generation. After all, there is a generation gap. Young people aren't going to listen to all the older people, and older people don't want to listen to the younger people. Is that true? Tell your pastor you can't teach the whole Word of God to the younger generation and the older generation at the same time. The Bible is so archaic. Your church is archaic. That's apostasy, getting away from the truth of Scripture. Do get something new, they say, but we're to tell them. Now, wait a minute. Listen, our pastors and elders, or pastor and elders, Verse 7, speak to us the whole word of God. That's what their business is. You are to follow their faith that they preach considering their manner of life. Their manner of life is something you need to notice. And he notices your manner of life as a congregation. Notice that. And this helps us work together uh, for the daily Christian living we need because their faith, our leadership in a church, their faith, our faith, is absolutely firm, solid, unchanging, because it's based on the one and only Jesus, as we see. Verse 8, the same, yesterday, today, and forever. Who's changing the faith? Wow, Jesus isn't. Then who are you changing it for? Are you? Are you listening to the world? Are you listening to the apostates? Are you listening to this new movement? Of motivational preaching? We need to understand that. God never changed. I am God and there's none beside me, said our God. His message is still the same. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, woman, boy, or girl from any generation comes unto the Father except by me. It's an insult to any pastor or church. You. It's an insult to any pastor or church say, I've got a little bit of different faith than you have. But good pastors and elders and a good church body, you, the congregation, are to warn the fools of any age, young or old, verse 9, don't be carried about by every wind of doctrine that comes into a society. Make up your mind. Follow Jesus. And that what Joshua said, as for me and my house. We will follow the Lord. I don't care what you do. We will follow the Lord. That's a firm faith. And you need that today in a day of apostasy. Do not be carried away by every different and strange doctrine, but we, for our manner of life, have a firm faith, for our heart is steadfast and established with that grace from God, not from meats in Paul's day, of course. You know what that meant. Foods, meat with sacrificed idols. Oh, you can't eat that. See, that's illegalism again. That was their world teaching. Our world teaching is meets your ideas. Don't let ideas of this world that are contrary to the Word of God affect you in your daily living. 
Not even the fools who think they know the truth better than God. The true Christian's daily life is a life of firm faith in none other than our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who do you trust in today? What the world teaches or some modern Christianity teaches? We're to put our faith in Christ. What is your faith based on today? Some fly-by-night who slips into a church that slyly says some little thing contrary to the whole counsel of God's Word? That's against sound doctrine, which we're teaching here. The world is like that, too. There's the world, and there's the apostate. A lot of troubles in the world today, and there's going to be a lot more for this younger generation we even have here today. We need to be a people who understand that these little things are contrary to the whole counsel of God's Word. And that's why we want to follow the Lord in His grace that He's given us. It all sounds like the world trying to get us away from the simplicity of the gospel. And the Bible says, note these type of people and have no fellowship with them. And that's good teaching for us today, as we know. The pastors, elders, deacons, and the whole congregation, every member of the church must stand firm, unmovable, on the one foundation, Jesus Christ the Lord. He's our rock we're building our church upon, we're building our lives upon. We need to note that. We need to understand that. Lastly, just quickly, I want you to notice the real Christian life is not a life of outgoing love, a life of perfect standards, a life of firm faith. Three things, notice those. But also, it's a life of sacrifice. Verses 10 to 14. It says we have an altar, verse 10. We have an altar. It's different than anybody else has. We have an altar. Remember, Moses gave the Ten Commandments. He brought the Ten Commandments down. People couldn't keep the Ten Commandments. No, they said, oh, we'll keep the Ten Commandments. No, they didn't. What did God tell Moses to do? Build an altar. Don't build with your hands or with tools of man-made. An altar has to be from God. It's not man-made. Who's our altar? What's our altar? The cross. We just sang about in the hymns here. The cross. I want you to notice real Christian living is that kind of firm faith that's built on a life of sacrifice. Verses 10 to 14, we have an altar, verse 10. No one else can have that altar unless they come like us to Jesus Christ to be saved, to the foot of the cross of Christ. He is our example of sacrifice. No one of the world's ideas are so contrary, so contrary to Christ the cross. We who believe in him are living sacrifice. You know, in the Bible, use the word martyr. Now, the word martyr in the Bible is referring to a living sacrifice. I think of many missionaries I know of and heard of who gave up their life for the preaching of the gospel. That's a martyr, yes, from our point of view. But God's saying he wants living sacrifices are called by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. See, there's a high standard right there. Acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Love, that ongoing love, that firm faith, that wonderful teaching of high standards, take sacrifice. You won't make it without sacrifice in those three things. And so we need to see that. Be not conformed to this world and its thinking, there it is again, but you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That proves to you, you know, Christianity is something that's proven to me. 
the facts of Scripture, what I based Christianity upon, that proves to me the acceptable will of God is perfect in every detail. It's joyfully accepted unto all of us who believe God, not some man or some of the world's teaching. So we see Jesus sanctifies us and sets us apart when we live for him, verse 12, from this world's ways by his blood. And so, dear ones, we are also called to live outside the camp, outside the thinking of this world, when it's contrary to the word of God. Bearing his reproach, an old saying, people may not like you, but God does. Roy Rogers used to say, may the good Lord take a liking to you. Well, it's better than that. People may not like you, but God does. And that should satisfy our hearts even today, especially in a Christian's daily living. Are you saved today? You see, that's the key. Are you saved today? Are you saved today? Are you in the congregation of the Lord really fighting for the good of your local church? And the worldwide church, of course. Are you saved today? Have you come to the cross? Have you given up the sins and the way and the teaching of this world? Those are important keys. Is the whole counsel of God more important to you than all the teachings of foolish men and the apostates of our world that are coming in to this great idea of motivational preaching? We need to see that. If so, then God is standing by to bless you in a life of real Christian blessing. Come and be saved if you're not saved today. Don't leave this place without being saved today. And never follow men who are contrary to God's word. Come and bear Christ's reproach and he'll bless your life now and forevermore. Let's pray.